Morning, it's good to see you, and hope you've had a great week. Hope you're ready for this day. Uh, I just want to thank our worship team for uh, leading us to God and worship. Very, very important at, at this time to kind of keep our eyes on the ball and understand uh, where we're headed. Um, we're starting a new series today, and it's called One Miracle Away from the Comfort Zone. Now, uh, the last series we talked about was Reboot, where you shut it off, you turn it back on again, and that's kind of where we are as a culture, where everything's been shut down, it's been turned on again, and, uh, and part of the things that we've actually talked about is the fact that COVID is the lesson, and what we do with it, what we do from now on, is the test, and that kind of gets into the territory that we're going to be dealing with today. Um, years ago, in a previous life, uh, Lori used to paint signs, and I helped because I was her helper. I actually cut the wood and stuff like that. But one of the first signs that she painted was uh, for some friends of ours who owned a furniture store, and the sign for the area where they had all the recliners and lazy boys and all this stuff was called the Comfort Zone, okay? Now, that's a great name, isn't it? Especially, you know, if you're selling comforting, you know, selling uh, lazy boy recliners and things like this. Great sign, great great thing, but it's not a worthy goal for your life. Comfort zone is not a worthy goal for your life. I mean, think about it, you know. If you're admitted to the hospital and the people come around, doctors come around and say, we're just going to try to keep you comfortable. Well, what does that mean? It means, you know, we're going to try and help you die with less pain. That's basically what they're saying, you know. It's not, a, it's not a good sign if you, you know, your kid goes off to university and they say, well, I'm in the comfort zone which means they're probably not studying. They're probably drinking and playing cards. Nobody who gets a new job is told, you know, we want you to be in the comfort zone. <laughs> That's not a good thing at work. My nephew, Nathan, uh, just joined the U.S. Navy. And I'm telling you, when you go to boot camp, they don't have a little sign over the door that says the comfort zone because it's not comfortable. They scream at you and yell at you and so on. Most people understand that staying comfortable and eating comfort foods will probably eventually, you know, create a heart attack and cause all kinds of health problems and so on. And yet, and yet, wouldn't you agree that most of our prayers that we aim at God would be something along this line, God, just make me comfortable. Just keep my life pain-free. Now, the prayers for comfort, the prayers for God to intervene in our pain and our need and stuff like this, you know, it, those are not bad at all. Comfort is a good thing. God made us to desire comfort, but it's not a worthy goal for life. And when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, it's off sequence because, you know, Jesus said that when we pray, the first thing is to, for God's name to be respected in all the earth, which is probably going to create some discomfort for those of us who need to spread His name and spread His word. It says, you know, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, which is basically that God's activity in the world get respected, which is not our comfort zone. And then it says, you know, ask for your daily bread. So it's kind of out of sequence there. What would happen on this planet if God answered every single prayer, God, make my life pain-free, make my life comfortable? It'd be a mess. So here's the deal, Okay. I think that most of us know that the fruit, the good things, the worthwhile things in almost every area of life come from challenging ourselves. They don't come from the comfort zone. 
No one starts a flourishing business, you know, while pursuing the comfort zone. No one loses weight and gets fit by pursuing the comfort zone. You know, no one saves money and becomes, you know, a great, you know, athlete or accomplished mission or musician or anything or good at anything in the comfort zone. Because for us to develop, for us to grow as persons means that we have to leave the comfort zone. And yet, you know, <laughs> that's what this title gets kind of weird because most people think, well, God, do a miracle and put me in the comfort zone. Maybe the miracle is God extracting us from the comfort zone. Now, I believe with my whole heart and I believe with my whole life that God has a plan for your life. God has something substantial that He wants to do with your life. God wants you to be great, but it won't happen in the comfort zone. I also believe that, you know, we will not find what we want most in life while we're being in consumer mode, where it's, come on, God, feed, and everybody else, feed me, feed me, feed me, give me, give me, give me. That's not where greatness comes from. Now, to start with, some of you may be convinced that God's official job description is basically, you know, to keep you comfortable and keep you in the comfort zone. And if it makes, it, makes you angry and frustrated when, you get, when he kicks you out of the comfort zone, the, the conversation might go something like this, God, you know, if you're not going to cooperate with my need for an easier life, what, what worth are you? What good are you, God? God, my plan for your significance and greatness is way, way bigger than you getting what you want, getting a pain-free life, you. What could possibly be more important than that? God, how about your forever? What about your forever? Now, to be honest, you might be thinking at this point, you know, Ken, where are you getting this? I mean, really, you know, are you just making this up as you go? And I would say, no, definitely not. Let's just kind of do a roll call of some of the people, some of the great people who have lived in the past. Abraham and Sarah, God did a miracle to get them out of the comfort zone, which would have been the land of Ur. And they had to go out and live in tents. They had to wait 25 years for a son. Discomfort. Jacob, Jacob, his comfort zone was hanging around in the kitchen with his mom. I don't know, maybe they made fudge. But he was thrust, the miracle was getting him out of that comfort zone, and he left his mom and never saw her again. Joseph, you'd have to say, his comfort zone was being the favorite son, the golden boy, you know, and he was thrown out of that. He went as a servant, as a slave to Egypt, and then was put in prison. Moses, his comfort zone was being in Pharaoh's palace. Man, he was a big shot. He had people going in front of him, calling his name, and so on. But, you know, he got sent to the backside of the desert. And then he had this cool little retirement job, and he got thrown out of that too, out of the comfort zone into one of the most difficult jobs that, on this planet, and that is turning a group of slaves into a nation. Ruth, remember Ruth? Man, she got thrown out of her comfort zone. Her comfort zone would have been staying in the land of Moab and finding herself a good husband, and yet she went with her mother-in-law, Naomi, to a, a whole new country. David, my word, his comfort zone was basically sitting at the king's table, you know, marrying the king's daughter, leading the forces, and having all these teeny boppers cheering his name when he rode into town. And then he got thrown out of that and was on the backside of the desert, and he was living in a cave with 600, you know, discontented guys, okay? That was what made him great. Esther, Esther was eye candy for Artaxerxes. That was her comfort zone. God challenged her to put her life on the line and plead for her people, which she did. Peter, 
His comfort zone was fishing, you know. And Miracle came along and got this miraculous catch of fish. And he was about to go out and buy a really good bass boat when Jesus said, I want you to fish for people. I want you to follow me out of his comfort zone. Paul. Paul, you know, had all these degrees after his name. He was the smartest guy in any room, you know. And Jesus called him out of that to a place where none of his degrees, none of that stuff made any difference at all. And that's the way God typically works. If you go down through the whole list of people who have served God and done powerful things, God took them out of their comfort zone. Now, I'm not saying that God wants us to be uncomfortable. Not at all. You know, I'm just saying that God is at work in our situations. God is always at work to develop us as persons, and I think we know that. So I want to tell you two stories from the Bible about, um, about this. One where a guy basically stayed in the rut, you know, and the comfort zone, and one where a guy, you know, went back to the rut. And I'm going to pull some challenges from that, and then there's going to be one final story, and then we're done, Okay. The first story is one that you're all familiar with. We know it if, you, if it's in the little captions over the chapters in your Bible. It's recorded three times, and we see it as the rich young ruler. And it actually happened. It was recorded three times. It says this, As Jesus started on his way, a man came up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. Clue phone, that's who I am. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And at this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Interesting combination of words. He went away sad because he had great wealth. And I want you to think of some young guys, comparatively young guys, who have made their fortune in our world. I found out recently that Elon Musk uh, just increased his fortune in this past year by $117 billion dollars. And he is now the richest man in the world, $287 billion. He's richer than, you know, Bill Gates and, and a few other people combined. The only one that comes close and not even that close is uh, Jeff Bezos. So imagine, you know, he's walking along and he says, well, I'd kind of like, you know, eternal life. I'd kind of like to have a good life after this one. So Jesus, what do you want me to do? Imagine Jesus saying, well, Elon, you know, um, why don't you give away all your money to the poor because that will feed the hungry of the world several times over and then come and follow me. What do you think his answer would be? <laughs> I think it would be like, no way. I think just like this guy, you know, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, this guy's question is one that a lot of people have in the back of their mind. What's a good person? I think I'm a good person. I think I ought to have eternal life. But, like, what does it actually take? Because I don't want to miss this. Like, I want to have the best here. I want to have the best there as well. And he thinks it's related to the Big Ten, of course, which makes sense, which, which is interesting because, you know, uh, the Ten Commandments, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Ten Commandments were given to the people after God had already claimed them as his own people. So they didn't obey the Ten Commandments to be his people. They were given them after they became his people. Now, this guy, like most of us, he knows, like, 
He's got all this money, and he's got a comfortable lifestyle, got all the stuff that he would, he would ever want, but there's something missing. He's not quite sure what it is, okay? And so Jesus then reaches in and touches the most sensitive spot in his entire life, his money, his wealth. And the truth is that love for and devotion to it had pretty much, you know, annihilated the first and most important command. He said, I've been keeping all these commands since the beginning. And what Jesus basically says, well, what about the first one? You shall have no other gods before me. What does it mean when you reject Jesus, Son of God, in favor of money? Obviously, he'd missed the first one. And for this guy and a lot of us too, money and possessions and the status that they bring to us are the key to living in the comfort zone. And the whole world system tells us every single day, if you want to live in the comfort zone, you've got to have money. You've got to buy this. You've got to have that. And that's why Jesus wanted a miracle. The only thing that stood between this guy and his tragic, spiritually lethal quest for the comfort zone. It would take a miracle to get him out of that. See, Jesus can't and won't force him to do that. He simply invites this rich young guy to follow him, you know, and leave his other God and, and be devoted to him. And suddenly, he's on the spot. He's got to either follow the money or follow Jesus. Now, he never said no to Jesus. He didn't say no. He just walked away sad. The miracle, the change of heart never happened. Now, you've got to ask yourself, what did the kingdom lose that day? What could Jesus have done through this man's life if he had chosen to follow? Jesus says Jesus loved him. Jesus wanted him to follow. But he was already following something else, okay? And what happens to us when we're hoping for a miracle that is going to launch us into the comfort zone, the one that everybody wants, which is success, wealth, money, health, and an easy life, and we miss the miracle that Jesus offers? which is a chance to make a difference forever. Sometimes Jesus seems so human in these accounts that we actually forget who he is, you know? And we think, oh, he's a, you know, kind of a prophet and stuff like that. Well, he's not just a prophet. And he's not just giving this guy some good advice. He's the son of God. He's come to save us and to save everything else. And he is not speculating because he sees life as it really is. And he knew that this guy's quest for the comfort zone was going to steal what he really wanted. Listen to what he says about this, about what it takes to pry us out of our commitment to wealth and the comfort zone. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples are amazed at his words, you know. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed, and they said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The miracle is the change of heart in our lives. Now, Jesus' comment on how impossibly tangled this guy's soul was with his wealth and, and the ultimate consequences of that kind of baffled his disciples. There are some circles that you hear, especially in kind of the TV version of Christianity, you know, that, that, there, that wealth is kind of the symbol that God likes you, that God loves you, and the more he piles on, the more he loves you. In other words, if God 
if God approves of you, he has kind of this eternal incentive plan, perks, like he keeps you healthy, he keeps your bank account full, you know, and if you give, you know, 10 bucks, he'll increase it to 100. Actually, well, actually, the truth is that all good gifts come from God, every good thing that adds to our comfort. And it's a temptation, though, to turn these good gifts into a little G God, and people do it all the time. Some of your parents and you have kids, and just imagine, you know, if they basically flipped you off, said, go get lost someplace, I like your gifts, but I don't want you around. And that happens to God every single day. What we miss is that God's gift and the kingdom is about loving Him and letting Him lead. And so this is kind of the way it works, you know? Non-comfort zone is exercise and education and sports, excellent. I mean, all these things... All of these things make us who we want to be, okay? But their work, it's the non-comfort zone. I mean, if you've got a, if you think, you know, becoming a person of character is comfortable, <laughs> you've never tried it because it's not. Financial wealth, you know, if you want to save money, it's always uncomfortable. You know, sports, excellent works, all these things. And so you've got to decide, what are you going to choose? Are you going to go for the comfort zone? Or are you going to be willing to choose non-comfort so that you can be who God wanted you to be. Now, notice the question that disciples ask. Wow, saving the rich, the most comfortable, is less likely than a, than a camel jumping through the eye of a needle. Then who has any hope of being saved? And Jesus' answer is, there is no hope for anybody apart from a miracle of God. Nothing is impossible with God. This whole thing with, you know, camels going through an eye of a needle. Um, there's a ministry in a church that I was familiar with, and I think it's in here someplace, but it's called Bruce Camels, and it's for people, uh, it's a ministry to people who are extremely wealthy. And you could say quite accurately that this guy's wealth, you know, the key to, to a comfortable life was the, ba- was the barrier to real life. Whenever you cruise toward the comfort zone, you know, the gate to an uncomfortable eternity and possibly being lost forever is choosing the wrong thing. And choosing the comfort zone is the wrong thing. So as uncomfortable as this conversation is, how many of you think it's a good deal when people trade God's mission and trade the king's mission for their own mission? When people make you know, the comfort zone more important than doing what God asked them to do. When his mission is to save everything and everyone. When their highest devotion is to their own comfort rather than what God wants to do through their lives. I don't think that's a wise trade at all. In fact, I think that's a dumb move. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. There are choices we make in our lives that we would never make. We would never make these choices if we could see beyond the gravestone, if we could see over top and see out into eternity and see what really matters and what really counts. Comfort zone is a consolation prize for screwing up your life. The comfort zone is a drug that you and I can't afford to be addicted to. Jesus, the Son of God, repeatedly warns us about that. Now, there's one more uh, person, and, and I just, I had this one picture I had to show you here, okay? The miracle is getting blown out of the comfort zone, and only a miracle can get us out of that. That's what Jesus is saying, okay? He's saying, with, with man, this is impossible, 
But with God, many times his miracle in our lives, the time when he shows up like he did for Abraham and Sarah and when he did for Joseph and when he did for you know, Peter and Paul, all these, all these particular places was to get people out of the comfort zone that was going to strangle them and strangle what they could accomplish. And sometimes we get a little bruised on the way out, like it says, you know, it's, it's easier for, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for this to happen in people's lives. Now, there's one more person I want to talk about, and the example in this one is way more subtle, but it's clear that they chose the comfort zone. And the person I'm talking about is Demas. He was Paul's co-worker. Now, there were a lot of people that teamed up with Paul, you know, to accomplish this mission, to get the good news of Jesus to anyone who would listen. And he talks about these people in his letters, mainly his letters to some of the churches like Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and so on. Demas was one of these co-workers, okay? And Paul refers to him in a letter to the Colossian church, and he says, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Now, Luke, as you know, was a, a, a constant companion of Paul's right up to the end. I mean, he was the one that was with him on all these journeys and his final, you know, ship you know, a uh, ride on a ship that took him to Rome and so on. And he also wrote a gospel about the name of Jesus. He apparently had interviewed all the people who were involved. So if somebody gets mentioned right up there with Luke, well, they must have been well known. That's what I'm guessing. But traveling with Paul, as you can possibly imagine, was not life in the comfort zone. Because, you know, Paul, in his own account of his own life, you know, he said, you know, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was hungry, he was jeered, he got snake bite, he was imprisoned, he got shipwrecked, stoned with rocks, okay, and lots of other stuff. His life was not in the comfort zone. It was anything but the comfort zone, okay? So I understand where traveling with him would be a hard thing to do. In his very last letter that we're aware of, written to Timothy, it's in, this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, some of his very last words, he says this, do your best to come to me quickly, for Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone on to Thessalonica. Honestly, that, I mean, that's astounding. That blows my mind. Demas has been a hero. Demas has been a role model. He's someone who stayed in there when it got really tough. Demas sends his greetings. Demas says, hi. Demas is with me here. And then Demas has deserted me. Why? Well, it says he loved this world. In other words, he chode, chose the comfort zone. The world system made him an offer that he couldn't refuse, and he took off. Now, how many of you think that when Demas kind of reached the end of his life, he said, you know, ditching Paul, the whole calling from God and from Jesus and stuff like that, that was one of the best decisions I ever made. I mean, honestly, there are times in life when you just need to put number one first and retire from ministry. I mean, life is too short to just keep on going slugging it out every day. And how many of you think that, you know, when he reached the other side, Jesus said, good move, Demas. You know, I mean, really, I would have done the same thing. Halfway up Calvary, you know, I should have stopped and put down the cross and said, I'm sorry, this is too much. These people don't even appreciate me. But he didn't. Jesus pressed on, and because of that, we have life here and eternity. And Paul pressed on. And for that reason, we as Gentiles have heard the message of Jesus that he came and gave his life for us and died on a cross. 
And I'll tell you, when you read this last letter, you know, that Paul writes to Timothy, it's clear that Paul's in a dark place. He's in this horrible prison, you know, and he doesn't have any freedom at all. He's got these leg irons on, and he's chained to guards. And he begs Timothy, he said, come quickly. And when you come, you know, bring the cloak with you. And you just get the feeling that he's cold there. He's shivering. And bring the manuscripts. And he, and he says, pretty much everybody has abandoned me. They've all taken off because it's easier to do that than to stay here with me. But God has not abandoned me. It was dangerous. It was far from the comfort zone. And Paul had absolutely no idea that his faithfulness would still be talk, talked about in 2021 that he would change the world, that he would reach most of the Gentile world through his efforts. He had no idea that he would literally influence billions of people, that he would influence whole governments because he was faithful. And you see, that's the part that you don't see. That's the part that you and I can't see. All we see is kind of the dreariness of everyday life and a little bit of pain and a little bit of discomfort, you know, and, and some people don't like us or want to be around us, and, you know, and, we, and we feel sorry for ourselves. And like Demas, we're sometimes right on the verge of just throwing it all in and saying, life has got to be better than this. And here's what I know, Okay. Contrary to a lot of what's taught on, on TV about Christianity, God's plan for me and you is not the comfort zone. It's eternity. And I'm not saying that God is against comfort. Not at all. God blesses us, you know, as Paul says, with good things for our enjoyment. It's not more spiritual to be poor. It's not more spiritual to be miserable and be in pain and be homeless. God is not into misery and difficulty and pain and poverty and wearing black and, and not doing anything fun. That's not God at all. The problem isn't comfort. The problem is not comfort. The problem is aiming your life at the comfort zone and hoping for greatness and hoping for significance and hoping for meaning. And the warning with the young, rich young ruler and Demas and pretty much any Bible hero is if you aim your life at the comfort zone, if you aim your life at you know, money and popularity and pain-free, you'll miss what you want most. Even if you tell God, you know what, God, you, know, you give me all the money, give me all the comfort and stuff like this, and I promise I will kneel in the end zone and put my finger up to you. You know, if you make me famous and popular, you know, on my Instagram account, you know, I'll put a little cross up in the corner and I'll wear a cross around my neck. Anesthesia is anesthesia, and I'm telling you, searching for the comfort zone is a form of anesthesia, whether it comes from drugs or the pursuit of comfort. Jesus put it like this, and this is pretty much the overall passage for this whole series of talks, okay? Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, and take up their cross daily, and follow me. And he's not talking about here, you just, you know, if there's a painful path, then you just choose the path of pain. He's not saying that. He's saying that if you're going to follow me, there's a cross involved in that. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to put yourself second, because greatness comes from serving. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. You can't get any clearer than that. Whoever wants the comfort zone, whoever wants to save their prestige and save their money and save everything else, you know, is, is going to lose it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their very soul? That's the trade-off. Now, Luke is the one that's recording this. And he's the same Luke who stayed faithful to Paul when Demas took off because he got a better deal. 
And some version of what Jesus is teaching here, I'm telling you, friends, is through all of his teachings. Like this isn't some mysterious passage and maybe somebody interpolated it or whatever, you know. This is what Jesus taught. Right in Matthew chapter 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount, he basically says, blessed are you when people insult you for my sake. Because he knew that was going to happen. And Jesus says this right after Peter's pronouncement that he's the Messiah, that he's the king that God had been preparing for the world for thousands of years. And at this juncture, I'm guessing that most of the disciples, after he talks about Jesus as the Christ, you know, they're kind of whooping it up. They had stars in their eyes, man. They're dreaming of, you know, thrones and positions of honor and authority and pretty girls, you know, because most of them were not married, you know, and girls are attracted to power and to, you know, prestige and stuff, at least they thought. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't understand. This is not the the comfort zone. I've got a cross coming, and so do you. And if you try to evade it, if you try to take some broad, easy path, you will lose what matters most. And the final question is, does it make sense to lose your soul in your attempt to make life easy? Maybe the final picture of this would look like this, you know, the tale of two markers, two grave markers, and of course, it would have been way different than that. But what are you aiming at? You know, Paul, I finished the race. That's what his grave marker says. Demas, I lost the plot. You got to aim at something. And I'll tell you, most people, their aim is like, I want to make as much money as I can. I want to be as popular as I can. I want to be, you know, have everything I possibly can before I actually get buried under this rock. They're aiming at the grave. The other alternative is to aim at what is eternal, what lasts forever. What are you aiming at? See, being a disciple means following Jesus. Being a disciple is not, you know, memorizing and knowing a whole bunch of Bible. It may include that, but I'm telling you, it's about following Jesus. Being a disciple is about looking like Jesus and loving like Jesus and serving like Jesus did. It's following him. And I'll tell you, it brings you to a fork in the road. And at that fork in the road, you've got to choose what you're going to do. Is it going to be the, you know, the difficult path? Is it going to be the one that looks like it's going uphill and downhill and, and pretty narrow and it doesn't have many, pe- many people on it? Or is it going to be like the highway? Jesus said you've got to choose. That's what he said right in the Sermon on the Mount. Because one leads to destruction. One leads to the comfort zone. The big, broad one is not leading where you think it's going to lead. And it won't take you where you're hoping that you will want to go. You've got to decide ahead of time which way you've got to go. Jesus made it clear that one road leads to life and the other doesn't. There's something else, and this is a tough truth, but it is true. You cannot follow Jesus. You cannot be the person that he calls you to be and hear well done if you don't engage in his mission. See, that's the bottom line. There's nobody who followed Jesus back in that day that did not engage in his mission, get involved in what he was doing, in the healing and the blessing and making a difference in this world. You can't just sit back and consume Christianity. Good and faithful servants serve. They serve Jesus and they serve others. And that's just the way it is. God has given every believer gifts. God has given every believer a calling. God has given every believer opportunities to do this. And to not do this is to flip God off. And you can't choose to serve God and choose the comfort zone as your main goal in life. It is literally impossible to be fully devoted to Jesus and in the center of his will and never serve. 
It's impossible to consume and consume and consume the truth that God offers and ever engage in his mission because the truth that he teaches tells us to engage, to make a difference. Truth is always intended to be fuel for his mission. I mean, in life, people who eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and don't exercise, they get fat and flabby and die of heart attacks. Why am I saying all this? Hear me on this. It's because God has called me to be faithful. And if I were to tell you that, you know, you can just pursue the comfort zone and everything that you want in life and it will all be okay, that is not true. God has called me to be truthful. And for your sake, you have got to find a way to follow Jesus and engage in his mission and become the person that he's calling you to be. Is that on your radar? Is that what you want? I'd like to tell you a story, and then we're done. Years ago, I heard a guy by the name of Bob Buford speak, and he uh, is the author of a book called Halftime. And he told a story that I've never forgotten, okay? So you're all familiar with, you know, Rogers Communication, you know, and the Rogers Center and all this stuff, you know, in the GTA. Well, he was kind of the Mr. Rogers of Tyler, Texas. Became very, extremely successful. Didn't realize this, but he was going into the TV business, you know, and cable business and communications, and, and so he did really well. By the time he was in his mid-40s, he had surpassed every single financial goal that he'd ever set for his life. And at that point in his life, he thought to himself, you know, well, <laughs> what's like a few more million when you've got a whole pile of money? So he said, I want to move from success to significance. And he was a follower of Jesus. So he and his wife hired a very expensive, you know, planning consultant. This guy charged, if I'm not mistaken, it was either $100,000 or $200,000 a day. So, you know, the guy came in. He was the same guy that helped, you know, when, remember the new Coke fiasco between Coca-Cola and stuff like this where they changed the taste and so on? He helped them to find the mainspring, the main thing in their life. And they found out it wasn't taste. It had to do more with, you know, kind of being at the forefront of the whole Coca-Cola thing and so on. So this consultant sat down, you know, with Bob and with Linda in their living room, and he brought out his chart, you know, kind of like this one, you know, they do that. And so, you know, he went through the whole thing, and he sat down, and he, he listened to them all morning, all afternoon. They had lunch and stuff like this. And finally, he said, okay, he said, we've got to find the main thing here, like what is going to be the driving force in your life? And he said, if you want me to help you to move to significance, he says, I've heard you talk about all kinds of stuff, your marriage and your business and everything like that, but there are two themes that keep coming up. He says, one of them is money, and the other one is Jesus. He said, if you can decide who's going to be in the box at the top of all your charts of your life, he said, I can help you figure out what to do. And that applies to us too, doesn't it? Like, we've got to figure out, like, what is the top thing in life? Is it Jesus? Is it following and looking like him and loving like him and serving like him and living like him? Or is it basically, you know, kind of everything else? Whatever leads to the comfort zone. Whatever leads to, you know, me being the grand pooba of the universe and me being the most, you know, sought-after person, the most desirable person. Like, what is it? What is at the top of your box? What is it? You have a lot of names for Jesus, you know. 
you know, good buddy in the sky, you know. He can be, he's my tow truck. He pulls me out of the ditch when I get in trouble, you know. He's my EMT, you know. When I get hurt, he comes and he makes me feel better, you know. He's my health provider, you know. He's, he's my fire insurance policy. Lots of people think lots of things about Jesus. But Jesus, in the essence of who he is, he is the king of all the earth and of all eternity, he is the king, and he is the Lord of all. He's in charge of everything, and he's the judge of the earth. He's the one that you and I have to hand our lives into. Who's in the box? How you handle this, you see, uh, is the most important thing that you will ever do. And if you don't see it, you know, it's possible that like this guy, you know, that Jesus was talking about, you need a miracle, you need a wake-up call before you find that you're in a place where it's too late to change anything in your life. And you're headed for something that you don't want. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. He's the King. And to call Jesus Lord, to call Jesus the Christ is a lie if you or money or something else is playing that role in your life. You can't be a follower of Jesus and not actually follow him. So let me close with this. You've got to engage. There are no rewards in heaven. There's no rewards in this life for being a great consumer of God products. We are not called to be consumers. Consumers. We are called to be servants of the Most High God because that is what is worth living your life for. Let's pray. God, we get tricked by the media that promises us that we're going to be popular and promises us that we're going to have luxurious hair and, and full lips and that we're going to you know, have this toned body that's going to amaze everybody on the beach and that we're going to you know, have this money all stockpiled so that we can visit all the famous vacation places you know, and take adrenaline vacations. It promises all kinds of stuff. It promises us that if we have the right car and if we have the right home and if we have the right you know, letters after our name that we will somehow be more significant people. And yet the truth has been taught by Jesus. That if you pursue self, you could actually lose your soul. Help us, O oh God, to do what lasts forever. To serve you. To love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. And to love others. So that we can look like Jesus. So that we can live like Jesus and so that we can love like Jesus. Amen.